0: Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be here back again with you this morning as we continue our series on, uh, on work. I want to begin by asking you a, a few questions. This was actually a, a survey that was done several years ago by Christianity Today magazine uh, with 500 of their regular leaders and subscribers. Um, and they were asked 10 questions and asked to rate the level of importance. Uh, zero would be not important to me at all, five would be really important. We can't quite do the survey here today, of course, but I would like you to maybe do a mental check on the importance of these questions. Is the Bible accurate and trustworthy? Are creation and evolution compatible? Is hell an ever burning place of torment? Will God condemn people to hell who have never heard of Jesus? Does God have a plan for my life? Women in leadership, should Christians take their Sabbath or Sunday observances more seriously? How involved should Christians be in politics? What surprised them at the, uh, who did the survey, and I don't know what the answer would be today, was which one was number one? 64% of those surveyed Marked either a four or a five to this particular question. It was the question on the Sabbath. Should Christians take their Sabbath more seriously? Now you might say, that's interesting, but why are you talking about it here? We're supposed to be talking about work. Well, you remember that when Laurie kicked off the series, the question she asked was, do you have a biblical view of framework of work? And it is impossible to have a biblical view of work without having a biblical view of non-work or Sabbath. Because Sabbath simply means to stop. <coughs> And so I want to talk about that today. And as I unpack this concept of Sabbath for us and how it might work in our lives today, I want to do it under three broad categories of grace, freedom, and time. Grace, freedom, and time. And as I work my way through this, periodically I'll make a statement like Sabbath is a day two or a Sabbath is a day four. You might want to keep track of those statements because we want to come back at the end of the message to reflect on them and I'll review them for you again at that time. Hopefully one or more of those phrases might connect with you better than others and say, okay, that gives me a handle on how I can make this work in my life. And it's never too late or never too early. I was just past my 50th birthday when i first began to understand and think seriously about Sabbath. Before that, yeah, I had my day off and vacation, but Sabbath was something I'd never really given much thought to. My son, on the other hand, learned it in a second year at university. It's never too early, never too late. <clears throat> and if you've got younger children to begin to, as you practice it in the home, to be able to explain to them why you're doing what you're doing. <clears throat> All right, here goes. We want to start with grace. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11 God gives the Ten Commandments and one of them has to do with Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Exodus' reason for the Sabbath has to do somehow with God finishing the work of creation and then resting. Not that he needed physical rest from his labors like you and I do. But it was an entering into a work that had been accomplished the previous six days. So Sabbath is first and foremost a day to enter into the very rhythm of creation week. You remember Adam and Eve were created on day six. Day seven was the Sabbath. So what did he and Eve have to do on their first full day? Nothing, absolutely nothing. Man's first full day was a day to do no work at all, but just to enjoy the creation into which they had been placed. You see, it is to reinforce for us a biblical rhythm that is the exact opposite of how we normally think. The biblical rhythm is from rest to work. Most of us have the the other way around, that we rest to recover from six busy days or seven busy days if we rest at all but the biblical rhythm is the exact opposite it is reinforced for example by the repeating phrase in genesis chapter one after each day's creation work was done we read evening and morning day one evening and morning day two i think you and i if we were writing genesis chapter one we would say morning and evening day one because if i asked you hey when did your day begin today What would you think of? Five o'clock, six o'clock, seven, eight, whatever. It was when I got up. My day began when I got up. Not in terms of biblical thinking. In in biblical thinking, your day begins when you actually went to bed and stopped working last night. (coughs) And you move from rest into the work. Eugene Peterson says it so beautifully. Sleep is God's ways of getting us out of the way at least for eight hours so we can't mess up his work, you know. A lot of wisdom in that. a lot of wisdom. But seriously though, it's a move from rest to work. Uh, For example, there are two psalms. uh, Very early on in the psalms. (coughs) One is the morning psalm and one is an evening psalm. Again, if you and I were compiling the psalms, we would put the morning psalm first and then the evening psalm. But that's not the way it is in the Bible. The evening psalm comes first before the morning psalm. So wherever you look at it, you see this, Biblical rhythm that is, that is reinforced for us that we move from rest into work, not from work into rest. So Sabbath is a day to recapture the rhythm of creation week. It's repeated in the pattern of redemption, not just in creation but in redemption. Ephesians 2, eight to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, this not your own doing, It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And then he says, for we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith as a gift from God. We ourselves are God's workmanship. That's his creating us. And then there have been good works prepared for us to walk in them. The works have already been prepared for us. So again, you see, it reinforces for us both in the pattern of creation and the pattern of redemption that we are moving from rest into a work that has already been prepared for us. Jesus reflected this perfectly in the way he lives. He said, the Father is at work and so I am at work as well. He, was always, he saw his work as entering into the work that the Father was already working on all around. So it's a day to stop our work and enjoy and enter into God's work in creation. When I started putting this into practice, it changed one of the things I did in my prayer time. Uh, near the parsonage where I lived for 36 years as I was a pastor, it was a beautiful ravine. And I would, especially in the summertime, I'd walk and pray there. But on Sabbath days, I began to learn how to do this a little bit better. Um, There were lots of snails, especially in the springtime. And when the snail started crossing that path, you know how slowly snails move. By the way, if you don't know it, that just shows how busy people we are. We don't stop. We have time to look at the snail, right? It moves so slowly. But it's a fascinating creature. And and as I was learning to enter into Sabbath, I would just stop and take quite a bit of time to watch the snail, how it moved along. I played with snakes on that one day. Because there were goddess snakes on that ravine. And I'm told that they're fairly... uh, safe. Now it was interesting to see that if this snake would pick up somehow that I was coming there depending on how far that snake was away from the grass at the edge it would griggle furiously and as soon as it hit the grass it would take off but on other times if it was a little bit further removed it would instead of moving it would freeze because it figured out that I could it couldn't beat me. I would just coil itself into a tight hole and the head would be gone. I would just kind of play with the tip of my feet there to see what would happen. Where would I have time to normally do things like that? Now you might say, what a waste of time. <laughs> That's the point. That's what Sabbath is all about. You're not accomplishing any. Actually, tremendous stuff is happening inside you. You just don't know it. But when you're immersing into yourself into creation, you think nothing is happening. Vaclav Havelu, the president of Czechoslovakia, said the big problem in North America is when nothing is happening, they think nothing is happening. When a whole lot of stuff is happening. Sabbath is all about that. Uh, the other, other way that I was able to enter into creation was through photography. About the time my second grandchild was born, <coughs> I was heading off to Hong Kong to speak at a conference. So I just decided to buy myself a slightly better camera. It was also around the time of the digital explosion I was hooked by my engineering background. I was so glad that God uh, brought this, what has proven to be a wonderful Sabbath gift into my life. Because when you photograph something, you have to pay attention to it. And I love doing macro photography, especially of uh, um, orchids, because they're the most complicated three-dimensional flowers I've ever seen. And when you take macro photographs, you don't rush through them. You set up everything. You look through the lens. You look at it from many different angles. Another thing I learned about photography was when you photograph something, walk all around the subject, look at different angles. I never walk around anything on any other days of the week. So these are some of the ways in which I was able to slow down and enter into creation. For you, it may be other ways. But these were some ways in which for me I was able to stop my work and watch God's work for a change. Another phrase helped me. It was a day to stop initiating and live in responsive mode. That was one of the most helpful things for me in fashioning a Sabbath idea. Because the other six days a week, I'm initiating, I'm making things happen. (coughs) I'm planning a sermon, I'm calling a meeting, I'm making telephone calls, I'm doing long-range planning, I'm always initiating something. Abraham Heschel, the Jewish philosopher, in his classic little book on uh, Sabbath and space and time, made an an observation on this. He said, the days of the week, the other six days of the week come to us empty and we have to do something to make them significant so that we can go to bed at the end of the day and say, yeah, I feel good about how I've spent time this way. Or you feel bad and say, I've accomplished nothing. He said, but the days of Sabbath come already full. You don't have to do anything to make them significant. You just receive them. And that was for me such a blessing because when Mondays would come, because I usually wake up really tired. It was the only day of the week I actually felt bone tired, you know, because I don't do manual labor. But you preach three times for 45 minutes at a time on a Saturday night and twice on Sunday and then sometimes something else in the evening. I woke up Monday morning tired. But as the day went on, and as I regularly reminded myself, I don't have to do anything today to make this day significant the hours of today are coming already full of significance and Lord all I need to do is to do receive them slowly by the time Sabbath wound up wound down I am I was completely stressed. I began agitated and finished totally at rest ready to enter the world that's what I mean by moving from rest into work for me Sundays was not Sabbath I was bus- it was the busiest day of my life of my week, making Sabbath for others. But for most of us, (coughs) who are listening, this is a key part of building Sabbath into your life. What you're doing here is unbelievably important. This is an opportunity for your souls to be recalibrated with that which is eternal. So don't lose the opportunity. Watch out for the increasing tendencies in our churches for people to come once in three weeks, once in four weeks, once in five weeks, and then call it regular. Just get into the habit of making this a non-negotiable thing so that you don't have to get up on a Sunday morning and ask yourself, do I go to church today or not? And you're not doing it to fulfill any regulation or pleasing some angry God. No, 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 this is part of that Sabbath routine that you're experiencing. Life where you're downing tools, seizing from your work, and live in responsive mode. You don't have to initiate anything. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, if you're a worship leader, yeah, you have to do that. But most of us, you just come in to live in responsive mode. You don't have a choice over what the sermon is going to be about. You perhaps weren't thinking about hearing a sermon on Sabbath at all today. You might have wished it, you didn't. But you have no control over it. You don't, know, you don't know what songs are being picked. They may be your favorite ones. They may not be. But it is an opportunity to live in responsive mode and watch what God is doing in your life. Freedom is the second word under which you can think usefully about Sabbath. Now we go to from Exodus to Deuteronomy where the Ten Commandments are given a second time uh, and the Sabbath commandment is mentioned. Half of it sounds very much like the Exodus but the end is very different. Listen. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, and then this is a slightly different emphasis. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you, and here's the reason for it. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Here now the reason for the Sabbath is different. In Exodus it was to enter into the work of creation. In Deuteronomy he says that's because you sh- this is a day to remember you were a slave. Now what, did, what were they doing as slaves? They were building bricks, right? Seven days a week from morning till night. Every Hebrew had been reduced to a number of bricks. You, 50 bricks a day. Two of you, 100 bricks a day. That's was their entire destiny. Their life was defined as brick-making units. And God said, "I don't want, to. that's not who you are. Your work doesn't define you. Sabbath is a day to stop and say, "My work doesn't define me. God defines me." That's why in this section it says, your male servants and your female servants will also rest. Not only are you free from dehumanizing work, don't ever forget you were a slave in Egypt so that you don't dehumanize the people that are working for you. They also are not defined by the work that they do. They are defined by the fact that they've been created in my image. And you as their boss are responsible for that. And today we see so much work that is dehumanizing in its very nature, that treats people as brick-making units. I'm told that supermarket clerks on the checkout counter, all their computer strokes, are not, because they're automatic, they control how many keystrokes a minute. No time to waste dilly-dallying talking to the person at the grocery line. It's inimical to relationships. And That's the kind of world in which we're living in, so it makes it all the more desperate for us to stop work one day in seven and say no. This can spill over into Christian organizations. I remember one evangelistic organization that was very active when I was at MIT way back in the, in the 60s. Uh, and the regular answer everyone had to, how many people have you talked to? Numbers, products, units. But God has freedom in mind. You know, not only was there the week in seven Sabbath, there was a one year and seven year sabbatical year. And then there was the, seventh sabbatical year which is 49 years and the 50th year was the year of jubilee and freedom was the name of the game here because every seventh year of the sabbath all debts had to be foregone slaves were to be set free and in the jubilee year all the land went back to the original owners so that if for whatever reason they had to sell their lands and whatnot, one more time in every person's life they will get a chance to start all over again so that none would be permanently poor throughout a lifetime. It was all about freedom. So it's a day, another way to look at it, it's a day to stop work so that you can be and become. It's a day for being and becoming, especially as it is expressed in relationships, because that's what the doing so often gets into, and we talked about that last week. (coughs) I remember in my extended family, once a younger member of the next generation, talking about their father said, oh, he doesn't know how to be in relationship except if it involves work. That's a strong indictment. One of the things my wife and I did was during our Sabbath days was to listen to a sermon together because that was something we never got a chance to do. Never in the 36 years on a Sunday as I was preaching did she and I get to sit down and listen to the preacher because I was here and she was down there. But on our Sabbath days, we would get to do something like that together. It was a day for special meals. It was a day for celebrating with friends where relationships were being enriched. That would often be the first things to suffer because of the demands of work. You see, it has nothing to do with legalistic, life-destroying rules. That's what the Pharisees had done to the Sabbath. You read the New Testament. Jesus deliberately did things to provoke them Because they had completely misunderstood the purpose of Sabbath. He basically had to teach them, you weren't made for the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for you. And Jesus redefined that. And so it's not another legalistic day where you have to do this, this and this. The The word means to stop and the freedom giving rule is, don't do what you do the other six days of the week. That's the only rule. How beautiful isn't it? So long as you don't do what you do the other six days a week, I'm not talking about things like eating and sleeping and stuff. I'm talking about work things. You're free to do what you want. Making room for beauty was another phrase that helped me. For me, photography did that. For you, it could be stitching, needlework, painting, sculpture. I don't know. Whatever. Inventing new recipes. Entering into that creative work of God but you're self because you enjoy it and for no other reason. Because it replenishes you. It tank fills up your tank again. Uh, I found a very interesting Sabbath exper- uh, exercise that I didn't even know was serving that function until I found out. Because in our home, I used to manage the finances. My wife doesn't like crunching numbers and stuff and so she was happy for me to manage that. And quite often on Mondays, I would just take out my computer and my computer program and I'd enter all the expenses for the weekend. It even became a joke around the house. Oh, dad's on his finances, he, 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 you know. And everybody would be laughing about it. But I always loved doing it. Never understood why until one time I took a life keys course where they help you by looking at your personalities, your life experiences, your talents, your spiritual gifts and whatnot to discern a mission statement for your life. And one of the talents that I had is number crunching. It was a leftover from my engineering days. All the other gifts and the talents I have fit into my mission as a, as a senior pastor, as a preaching pastor, and as a teacher of the scriptures. But number crunching, where did that fit in? It didn't anyway. So I asked the uh, facilitator of this um, workshop, what do you do with a life talent that doesn't fit your ministry? He said, very wisely, it's probably a Sabbath gift. That's when I understood why I enjoyed doing finances. Stuff that would bore everybody else. I just loved. So there might be things like that in your life that might enable you to discover, hey, this is a Sabbath function. Some gift, some talent that I have that doesn't fit anywhere else. But I just love doing it. Well, then do it. That's part of your Sabbath experience. I didn't even pray on my Sabbath the way I prayed otherwise. Usually when I get to my prayer time, I have a I have a plan. And I think the last time I was here last summer I, I shared with you some of those things that have helped me keep my prayer life on track. But on the Sabbath day, I didn't do that either. I said, God, I'm not going to initiate even my time of prayer with you. You initiate the prayer. I will respond. You call forth prayer. You call forth worship. And he had wonderful ways of doing it. But I was free from initiating anything that day. So that was another thing I did. It was free. I was free to not pray one of the things my wife and I did in the afternoon is I'm not very strongly interested in politics. I pray about those things, but I'm not personally interested in them. And I often find US politics much more interesting. So I mean, imagine our our elections are over in six weeks. There they have 18 months of of drama, you know. And every every, uh, Sabbath day, I would sit down in the afternoon. I always enjoyed Fox News and Megyn Kelly's show called Good Afternoon America or something like that. I just love watching that for an hour. Do I do it any other day of the week? Never, do I do it now? No, I'd stopped. But during those days, it was a one hour of doing things that just I enjoyed doing, them. I was free to do it. That's the beautiful thing about this, there's nothing legalistic. Just don't do what you do the other six days. Keep varying, keep experimenting, and you'll keep learning some. So grace, freedom, and then the third thing is time. <coughs> sabbath is a reminder of god's lordship over time you know it's interesting if i would ask you in what context does the bible use the word holy (coughs) you might think of space you know moses was standing on holy ground the tabernacle or the tent was holy there was the holy of holies inside the tabernacle that had the ark of the covenant and whatnot and only the high priest could go there once a year you think of people as holy. God is holy. Of course he is. There was the high priests were holy. But the interesting thing is the first thing that the Bible calls holy is time. Genesis chapter 2. God blessed the seventh day and called it holy. What do you mean by holy then? How can time be holy? We can understand places being holy. Hmm? Holy thank This place is Holy. We can understand people being holy. That's because we think of the word holy almost exclusively in terms of its moral dimensions, which is certainly included. But ground isn't holy. Holy anointing oil. Oil isn't holy. Aaron wore sacred holy garments. Shirts aren't holy. Until we understand that the root meaning of the word holy comes from the old ancient word it means to cut. Like if you cut a piece of cloth and separate it. So, from that holiness carried the idea of something being set apart as being in a class by itself. And we use that in everyday language, for example. If any of you watched a little bit of the basketball game last night, you say, Why? Man, that that Golden State Warriors are in a class. They're a cut above the rest. Or this particular hockey player, she's a cut above everybody else. That means they're in a separate class. So, when God is holy, That's the key theological way of saying not just that he's morally pure but that he's in a class by himself. There was no one like him. We sang that a few moments ago. (coughs) So now when you apply that to time, time is holy. Sabbath is holy because it's a cut above every other day. It's in a class all by itself for some of these reasons that we've already mentioned but it's specifically also is related to the issue of time, because God sanctified time first before he sanctified place and people. Abraham Heschel again says this, the next couple of quotes are a bit long but they're easy to understand, I'm gonna read them slowly because it's so, so crucial. He said, Heschel says this, time is at the heart of existence, but technology has enabled us to conquer space. We expend time to conquer space. Life goes wrong when the control of space becomes our sole concern. Thus infatuated with space and things of space, we are blind to time except to make it more subservient to space. Hence the deeply rooted dread of time which grows to the dread of inevitable death. The goal of spiritual living is to face sacred moments. It is moments that lend significance to things, not vice versa. Judaism is the religion of time, aiming at the sanctification of time. While Israel's festivals were related to events in space, nature, agricultural cycles, Sabbath was not. Thus the essence of Sabbath is completely detached from the world of space. Essence of Sabbath has to do with time. See in the New Testament, there are two different Greek words that are used for time and therefore we lose their significance. One is the word chronos, the other was the word kairos. From chronos, we get chronological time. So I can look up at that big digital clock there and say, I got 13 minutes and 21 seconds before they will make me sit down. That's chronos, that's that quantity of time. Kairos, on the other hand, is when we use the word time as follows. You saw some babies dedicated today. You might know someone who's expecting a baby. All of a sudden, he or she might say, it's time to go to the hospital. They're not really looking at whether it's 9, 14, or 12:30. It's a season, gotta go. And everything else stops in order to get that happen. That's Kairos. And the Bible has a lot more to say about Kairos than Kronos. In fact, as a Christian, one of the things I've discovered is that timing has so much, discerning proper times for things has so much to do with Christian maturity. So much of living wisely has to do with discerning the time. This is why Jesus, when he lamented over Jerusalem, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you under my wings but you wouldn't come if only you had recognized the moment of your coming. They missed it. They missed it all. Our preoccupation with Kronos makes us miss all the Kairos moments of our life, the things that are so crucial. And discerning Kairos is so important. Ben Patterson, another author that I love, he says this, time management, the notion is preposterous. Worse than that, it is presumptuous. Who could presume to manage Kairos? What we really do with all this time management techniques is to find ways to do more things within the time we've been given. More people to see, more projects to work on, more meetings to attend. This is why we feel spent and still empty when we have done all the managing. We assume we need help to manage time because we are too busy. The deeper issue is that we are too busy because we have lost a sense of the meaning of time. Can I read that again? We assume we need help to manage time because we are too busy. The deeper issue is that we are too busy because we have lost a sense of the meaning of time. The Bible calls us to first live by kairos and let it dictate to Kronos what we will do and how we will live. To discern kairos will mean to behave decently as in the daytime, a phrase that carries the idea of elegance and grace. To really know time is to live gracefully and elegantly as befits the season. So here's one more uh, phrase. Sabbath is a day to live without the clock, a day to break the tyranny of time. This was so important for me because the other six days of my life were just rigorously and ruthlessly clocked. The alarm was set at a certain day and my schedule for the week was pretty well full. And I'm not saying this in order to impress anybody with how busy I was, because you're, some of you are probably much busier than I ever was. But the point was, I had no breathing room. Me, let me be honest with you. As a pastor, you know what was bad news for me when I would hear that someone in the congregation had died? But not for the reason that they were had bad news. It meant my whole week got redone. I now had to find time for things that I hadn't planned. What a terrible way for a pastor to think, right? But this is how crippling time management can become in our lives. When that was calling out for crying out for kairos <coughs> I often think he took me into the pastorate to make me a different kind of man altogether. Anyway, my other six days of the week were so clogged, so For one day to live without the clock was a gift that I slowly learned to enjoy. That day there was no alarm clock. And that day I did whatever I felt like doing for as long as I wanted to. I actually sat down and had breakfast because other six days of the week I I stood up, eating stood up. Then I actually sat down and read newspapers in those days where people still read newspapers. (coughs) And I didn't have to go anywhere, you see. There was a lot of things that had to be done that day. You do whatever you do for as long as you enjoy it. Here's a story that helped me. One blustery weekend, I was strolling with my little boy on an Atlantic beach. We were scaling clamshells into the onshore wind and watching them curve back on us. I don't know why this was fun, but on that morning, scaling clamshells seemed like the best of all possible things to do. After a while, I looked at my watch. It was lunchtime. We left the beach reluctantly. Only after we sat down to eat did I wonder, why had I stopped the game? What was so important about noon? Why must we be hypnotized by the clock? My boy and I went back to the beach after lunch, but the magic was gone. The clamshells and the wind did nothing for us now but blow salt in our, sand in our eyes. So Sabbath is the day for doing whatever you enjoy for as long as you enjoy it because there's nothing to get done that day. Freedom, grace, time. Now what? I deliberately left a good block of time to help you process the implications. (coughs) So what are you going to do with this information? I want you to start in an unexpected place. Repent. You say, oh really? What kind of sin are you talking about? No, no, repentance isn't all about breast beating and woe is me the word literally means change your mind Matter no, change your mind change your mind about how you think about time change your mind about the rhythm from work to rest instead of rest to work and all that stuff Patterson writes this way I can hear you saying this is all very nice but it will never work for me you may be right If keeping the Sabbath for you means now doing in six days what you now do in seven, of course, it's going to be bad news. If it's a matter of tossing one more thing on top of the pile of things you already want to do, you're not going to succeed. Successful Sabbath keeping is not a matter of mastering new techniques of time management. It is much more fundamental than that. It is a matter of repentance and conversion. It means renouncing a way of life that has no space for God and choosing by faith a life that does. Certainly there are techniques that a family can use to make Sabbath keeping easier. Sabbath keeping Jews can teach us a lot. And I've given you several phrases that you can use as, as spotlights to shine on your increasing understanding of sabbath but until this basic repentance and conversion happens the techniques are of no use the real issue is if you and i are too busy to stop working one day a week then we are too busy period our problem is sin not lack of time and we need to cry out for god cry out to mercy to god for mercy so where do you need to change your mind about what we've talked about today Take a few moments to think about that. What are you resisting the most in what you heard this morning? What do you feel like arguing with me the most about? I'm not talking about questions for clarification. There are many. Where do you need to change your mind? Secondly, reflect. Let me give you again some of the phrases that I've used to describe what Sabbath might look like. Which one connects with you? A day to relive the rhythm of creation week so you can learn to move from rest to work. (coughs) A day to stop our work and watch his work in creation. A day not to initiate but to live in responsive mode. A day for being and becoming in relationships. A day to make room for beauty. A day to break the tyranny of time. Reflect on those phrases. Listen to the sermon a second time if you need to. Then start somewhere. That's the third thing I'd say to you. Start somewhere. You're not going to go, very few of us are going to go from a seven day work week mentality to six. I remember reading how coral islands are formed. I'm not any kind of a marine biologist or anything like that at all. But apparently some of these large, massive coral formations start off very, very small. And over eons of time, the coral deposits grow larger and larger and larger until these massive coral formations that deep-sea divers love to take a look at are formed. Sabbath grows like that. Start small. Start somewhere. Take a look at these phrases and say, what little pieces can I start putting in? If you're married, have a conversation with your spouse. Maybe that could be your first Sabbath exercise. If you've got the older children who can understand such things, bring them into the discussion. Where can we start? And as you slowly start building into that, Sabbath will begin to grow and become that massive coral island so that that one day gives stability for everything in your life. So start somewhere. And lastly, throughout the process, trust God. Without faith, the Bible says it's impossible to please God. Our entire life is a life of faith in Jesus. (coughs) And a call to Sabbath is ultimately a call to faith in invisible realities. I mean, the land Sabbath, the seven-year Sabbaths, were all related to faith. You know what God would say to them? He said, I will give you so much harvest in the sixth year that you will have enough to eat for the sixth year, the seventh year, and the eighth year, which is what they needed if they were going to not plow the land at all for year seven. Oh, really? Really, God, you will do that? It becomes an exercise in faith. Same thing he would say, if your relative wants money, wants to borrow money from you, don't be mean-spirited and say, oh, another six more months, it's going to be a sabbatical year. If that guy doesn't pay me back in the next six months, I'm going to have to forego the debt. He said, don't think like that. Trust me, he said. And of course, Jubilee year, when all the land has to go back. It, you know what? There's very little evidence that Israel ever obeyed the Jubilee or even obeyed the seven-year Sabbaths. And you know the regular denunciations of the prophets for not keeping Sabbath. Looks like this was one of the commandments that they broke wholesale because they couldn't bring themselves to trust God. And I can get everything that God wants me to get done in six days. I'll tell you something. You you will not get done everything that you want to do in six days. But we will definitely get done everything that God wants us to do in six days. So ultimately, it becomes an issue of faith. My son had to learn it in second year. He studied business at Queens, economics at Queens. And apparently, the second year at Queens was the year where they separated it out in the business world, at least in that course those who were going to make it and those who didn't. Yet it was in year two that God began to speak to him about Sabbath, daring to trust God. So repent, reflect, start somewhere and trust God. Eventually it spills over <coughs> into the rest of your life. Like I close with this story. Uh, a Westerner went over to Africa for a safari and he hired some local people to help him carry all his equipment. And he was so pleased with the amazing progress that they made on day one. He went to bed all excited. He got up early the next morning, anticipating another day of great advance in his safari. To his utter consternation, he found all the locals that he had hired sitting down, refusing to move. And when through his interpreter, he inquired as to the reason for this strange behavior, this is what he was told. We went so fast yesterday, we are waiting for our souls to catch up with our bodies. about as severe an indictment of the society that we live in, many of us, our souls are lagging far, far, far behind our bodies. The unfortunate thing is it took those Africans one day to find out. Some of us don't find out in an entire lifetime. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you said you were the Lord of Sabbath. And you also said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest learn of me for i am meek and humble thank you that you are a humble and a meek teacher and that we can run to you and say yes jesus we thank you that we were not made for the sabbath the sabbath was made for us and you are the lord of the sabbath you alone can give us that kind of rest i don't know how i'm going to pull this off but i am going to come to you and learn of you you are meek you never get angry with me You are humble. You lower yourself to my level. Thank you that I have such a wonderful teacher. I am looking forward to learning from you and incorporating Sabbath into my life and entering into your rest. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.